don't know if it's, I think it's the holidays a little bit sometimes, just say, I think it happens for the world, but myself included, just a little bit of a more or a little bit of a heightened uh, awareness, to, I guess you could say a God awareness, and of course for the world, for, for, for people around Christmas time who never think about God, never talk about God, Christmas can cause them to uh, start to think about that. A little bit, and so for myself, I want to be, I want to be in tune, uh, even more than than usual, even more than typical. And um, I'm just going to sort of sort of jump right in. I'm just going to take a few minutes tonight, but I've been thinking and and praying about what it means to know the Lord, and uh, I'm sure part of it is is uh, I well I know part of it is is thinking about relationships in the natural. And um, and I've I've had this thought of of how do we know that we know somebody, and maybe you can sort of let that bounce around in your mind, uh, like it has for me most of the day, and I've I've turned to scripture and with that thought of okay not just the Lord but in in general with people what does it mean to to actually know someone? Uh, we can say that we we know them, but. I can also go and I can go to Wikipedia or go to the library and find books about, you know, Michael Jordan or Abraham Lincoln or whoever, some individual that I most likely will never meet. Um, obviously not with Abe Lincoln. He's, he's passed on. But I can go and I can learn a whole lot of things about people. And, but that doesn't mean that I know them. I don't know. I might know a little bit of how they think, a little bit of what they think. Um, I, I might know a little better what their, what their beliefs are, what their standards are, their morals, all of those things. But there's, there's a dimension so much further, so much beyond that, that in relationship with God, He desires as well. And I, I think that so much of, you know, talking about a God consciousness, God awareness, so much, so much of the world, they know God only on that level, the level of simply just knowledge, um, which is great. I'm thankful for knowledge. I've, I went to school to, to have more knowledge specifically about God, specifically about the Word of God. But I, I realized quickly that that didn't change my relationship with God if I didn't know Him in an intimate way, in a deeper way. And so I want to talk just for a few minutes of of what that, of what truly knowing him looks like, and you know, I I can't I can't think for long through scripture without ending up in in Genesis, and specifically the Garden of Eden, where where things kind of all started, uh, at, at least in our time, and the way that we understand things, and Adam and Eve, and and specifically Adam before Eve came along, was I think the the perfect example of, of what a relationship with God looked like. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is because we see he, he walked with God, right? He walked with God in the cool of the day. So right there, first thing, first takeaway we can have is to know God is, is to walk with God. And we use that term a lot, to have a walk with God. Uh, but then there in the, in the garden, there was another element uh, uh, that... Uh, contributed to that perfect relationship, and that was, of course, the fact that Adam was sinless uh, up to or at that point. And so, there was there was nothing. I, I believe there was nothing else that his mind was on other than the things of God, and other than his purpose from God. He he was set there in the garden to care for the garden, to keep it, and to name the animals. To he he had some responsibilities. He had some some purpose in the Lord, but at the end of the day, at the start of his day, I believe his thought went back to his maker, went back to the one that he walked with. Uh, I mean, he didn't have anyone else, and of course, we know that that's, that's where the Lord then says, okay, it's, it's not good that, that man should be alone, that Adam should be alone, so I'm going to make him a, a helper, I'm going to make him an, a help meet. And I find it interesting that, you know, that, that introduces a new relationship element 
into scripture and into our life, and of course it's marriage. And the, the Bible says that for Adam, that's, that's the reason that, he, that we would then leave father and mother and cling to, to a wife. Um, and I can only talk about that, obviously, from what I read <laughs> up to this point. But I, I, I mean, I want to be ready. I want to know what I, what I need to know as much as I can in advance. And so Adam, he, he had this helper and... So then jumping to, kind of jumping to the, to the New Testament, I believe, and, and we see this mentioned, I think it's in Hebrews, maybe it's Corinthians, but where it speaks of Jesus being the second Adam. And uh, Adam, Adam, Adam was the, was the first Adam, and then Jesus was the second Adam, and showed us, he showed us, he said, okay, Adam showed you a little bit of how it was supposed to be done, but then he fell into sin. And the relationship that he had with me was, was corrupted because of, because of sin, because of that pollution that that brought. So Jesus came on the scene, and, and yes, he came as a spotless lamb to die for our sin, but he also came as an example of what it looks like to, to have a perfect relationship with the Spirit of God. And so I want to I kind of get into that for a second here. If you'll turn with me to John. And while you're turning there, I, you know, I, I can't help but think when, when talking about knowing someone, and especially knowing God, it's kind of important that we hear and know the voice of God if we're going to say that we know God, right? And, and the same goes for any relationship. If, if, if you say that you know somebody, but you hear them talking across the room and, and you don't recognize their voice, then I'm going to have a hard time believing you that you actually know that individual. Because in, in John chapter 10, the Lord speaks of his sheep knowing his voice. And another, they, they're not going to follow, but because they know the voice of, of the shepherd, they've, they've learned what it sounds like. And, and they, know, they know it when he's, he's calling. Uh, but something I've, I've realized is, and maybe... Uh, I'm going to talk about this for a second before we read here, uh, is kind of our, our concept of hearing the voice of God. I, I, at least for myself, I've realized it's, it's sort of formed from uh, a multiplicity of things, but specifically a lot of Old Testament examples of God speaking to people. And as the Lord's been dealing with this, uh, with me about this, he's made me to realize that in the New Testament, there's there's a, a deeper way, a greater way of him speaking to us because some of the examples you'll hear in the Old Testament are like with, uh, I think it was Elijah who is, who is in, the, in the cave and the Lord comes in, in an earthquake and, and a wind and all these, these great things happen and then the Lord right comes to him in a still small voice and it said that the Lord wasn't in those other things but he came to him in a still small voice. And I've used that, and I've heard that example a lot when it comes to knowing and hearing the voice of God. But that's Old Testament. Uh, that's the way that God would speak to people then was outwardly, uh, because God wasn't yet in them. He was, he was outside of them. And so now in the New Testament, we have the privilege and, and the honor of having God in us. The Holy Ghost, uh, of course, with indwelling within us. And so what, what we're going to see here in, in John, I believe, is, is the Lord showing his disciples a greater way of, of knowing him and a deeper way of knowing him. And we don't have to, and I've, I've gotten in trouble with this a few times when I'm trying to hear the voice of God. I... You know, I'll, I'll be spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word, and and I find myself sometimes sort of pleading or begging God to speak to me. <laughs> and and what I'm really wanting or what I'm really expecting is to hear either an audible voice or have a super clear, specific thought drop into my mind and, and know, okay, that's the voice of God. But what He's been dealing with me about is how His His voice, because just like His Spirit, His voice so often is going to be just within us. 
And it's going to be within our mind, within our thoughts, within our, our spirit. And so I just want to read just a few verses here in John chapter 14. And Jesus is talking to them about himself, the Father, that relationship. And, and he begins to talk to them about John 14 and 15. He begins to talk to them about the Holy Ghost. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Amen. The world doesn't know him, but thankfully we do. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. So the, the, Jesus, I believe what he's showing the disciples here is, one, he's showing them you're going to know that the spirit, this, this comfort, this thing that comes to you, you're going to know that it's from the Father, that it's me, because you're going to bear witness with it because you know it. Because it's not going to be a second person or whatever order <laughs> that goes in, sorry. Um, it's not going to be a separate part of me. It's going to be me. And because you know me, because you've spent time, because you've fellowshiped with me in the natural in person, you've heard my physical voice, my natural voice, and, and all the thoughts, all the words that I've said are words and thoughts of the Father. Because remember, like I said, I believe Jesus was the perfect example of, he was the second Adam. So he's the perfect example of this restored and right relationship with God. And he says throughout John here, he says he doesn't say anything except the Father tells him. He doesn't do anything except the Father tells him to. And of course, he goes to the point of obedience to death. He was so surrendered to himself that he goes to the point of death. And so he says, I'm not going to leave you, in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And then jump, jump forward with me to verse 25. And what the, what the Lord's been dealing with me about is specifically knowing him and you know, we know him in, in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit, these different ways. And so I've, I've been asking the Lord, you know, Lord, I want to know you, yes, in my mind, but, but I realize that there's a lot of conflicts that can come there because the Bible says that my heart is deceitful and, and wicked, and who can know it? And so if I have this deceitfulness, this wickedness within my mind, but I know you in my mind, then then can't I go astray? Can't I, can't I be at fault at times? And so he's been helping me with this, showing me this with the Spirit. So here in verse 25, he's still speaking. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And I, I feel like the Lord led me to this verse showing me like, hey, if I teach you stuff, you're going to know it, yes, in your spirit, in your heart. But when I teach you things, you're going to know them in your mind. And so there's, there's an important element there that, uh, that our thoughts are surrendered to God and, and yielded to God. And we, we rid them of the thoughts of this world. But there's going to be an involvement still with, with our mind, with our thoughts. Uh, I'm going to send him in my name. He'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And that's just, that's the power there of, of the Holy Ghost that dwelling within us, that, that it can quicken things that we had once heard, or in this case, the disciples, that they had once heard from Jesus. It can quicken it to them and to their remembrance and again, it's just another way, another form of, I believe, of, of a witness that, yeah, this spirit, this thing is of me. It is me. It's quickening to you the very things that I spoke to you. Um, and then jump with me down to verse 30. It continues speaking here. 
Jesus says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father as the Father gave me command, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So again, Jesus being the perfect example of a relationship with the Father, relationship with the Holy Ghost, just that spiritual oneness, for lack of, of better words. And he, he goes on and he talks about that. But what I, getting to this point here in verse 30, what I realized is that to return to a, a place of perfect fellowship, perfect relationship with God, it, I, and a lot, of, a lot of the references and Bibles I had, they, they pointed to other scriptures talking about Jesus being without sin in this point when it said that the devil could find nothing in him. And of course that was true. He had no sin. He was, he was sinless. But at the same time, I, I want to actually read one other translation of that, that verse. The Amplified says, I will not talk with you much more for the prince uh, or the ruler of the world is coming. And this is what the Amplified says. It says, he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. And there is nothing in me that belongs to him. And he has no power over me. And the, the ESV says, he has no claim on me. And I find that so powerful that he could say with a confidence, like, he's coming, but he's not going to find anything in me because, and I, I think that there, that's beyond just sin, that, that there was not sin in him, but it was because he didn't love anything of this world. He didn't care for or desire anything of this world. He simply lived and desired to fellowship and have a relationship with God and do the will of God. And, and it's no, no coincidence here that going on into chapter 15, which I'm not, I won't read for sake of time, but going on into chapter 15, he then starts talking about the vine and us being the branches. And if we're going to bear fruit, which we talked about last Tuesday, the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to bear fruit, then we have to abide in him. And so I, I this is just sort of a brief I guess, overview of my, my thoughts and the way the Lord's been dealing with me today. But when it, comes to, when it comes to knowing the Lord, it's so much more than, than knowledge alone. And there's another example, I think it's in 1 Samuel chapter 2, when the Lord essentially finishes rebuking Eli and telling him he's going to replace him, he's going to raise up a, a new priest he says, I'm going to raise up a priest, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I'm going to raise up a priest who knows my heart and he knows my mind. And, and that, of course, was Samuel, who came on the scene as, as a child shortly after. And then one of my favorite passages and stories is when Samuel is, is there in the house of God and he hears the voice of God. And he thinks it's, he thinks it's Eli, right? So he runs in and says... I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says, yes, like, you called me. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't call you. <laughs> I think he does it three times before Eli finally gets, gets it through his carnal skull that the Lord is trying to talk to Samuel. And in that passage, it, also, it says, it's, so, it's just so beautiful, but it also says that he didn't yet know the voice of God. And, and again, that's an Old Testament example. So I believe and this is just my opinion, but I believe he was literally hearing the voice of God in his natural ears. Um, because again, the, now that we're in the New Testament, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And, and so, again, I've heard it said that it's a still small voice. It's a, and people, have, people often say the closer you get to God, the, the quieter he, he's going to be. Uh, and and my, my personal take on that is because I was talking to the Lord about this, and I was like, Lord, does that mean that you 
start whispering to us. Like the closer we get to you, that doesn't really make sense to me. And I feel like what the Lord spoke to me was he doesn't whisper to us the closer we get to him. But when we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, the closer we get to him, the more in line our thoughts get with his thoughts. The closer they get from where we started, right? And so when we started in our relationship, when we started in our walk with God, our thoughts were way over here or way over here in left field. And the thoughts and the voice of God was way over here. So when we heard it, we knew without a doubt, okay, that's God because my carnal mind could not have thought of that. But then the closer we get to God, there's, there's more of a, well, there's more of an alignment with the voice of God, with the spirit of God. And so as that alignment comes, we can have thoughts, we can have impressions in our, in our spirit and that come into our mind. And we, we might think, oh, was that just me? Was that the Lord? Was that me just thinking I should go pray for that person? And even if it is, why not do it? <laughs> if it is the voice of God, if it is the spirit of God, why not do it? But the Lord's been just encouraging me with this lately that it's not a, it's not a sign of relationship with him or it's not a, a symbol of relationship with him saying that you can hear the voice of God verbally or out loud because I've, I've heard examples of people who, carnal people, <laughs> people who are like living deep in sin and they say, yeah, the Lord showed up and spoke to me today and I'm just scratching my head like, God, that makes no sense. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's because for me to get their attention sometimes, I have to do it that way. I have to slap them in the back of the head and make it so clear that they know that it's me. But the closer that we get in fellowship with his spirit, I believe the more it is like the garden where we're just walking hand in hand. We're walking in sync together. And so our thoughts are so in line that we can have a thought that's, we might say, man, is that me? Is that him? But because we've been fellowshipping him, because we've been fellowshipping the word of God, we can respond to that. And, and I believe see him, see him work, see him, see him do some, some powerful things. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Hart. I'll remind you, you know, he was talking about how hearing from God is not a sign that you are godly, necessarily. And uh, when he made that statement, it reminded me uh, Balaam, who heard a donkey speak, was not a godly man. He was not doing God's will. In fact, he was going straight against it when he had that sign of a animal speaking his language to him. Amen. <clears throat> I don't want to take a lot of time with this, but I want to just do some reading. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it's a, it, first of all, let me, in case you don't know this, let me just tell you, it's okay to say that you don't know something. I'm saying that because I'm telling you, I don't know all the end time prophecy um, as well as I wish I did, but that doesn't mean it's not for me or for you or any of us to know so or we just don't think about it or we just won't go there i've heard i've heard oftentimes people say um end time prophecy is only for certain people <laughs> or only certain people care about it the whole bible is for all of us all scripture is given by inspiration of god from genesis through revelation um, I just felt the Lord was turning this in my spirit, and I want to just show you a few of these verses. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Brother Berglund here, and he was speaking about the, the time after Christ's return. What's going to happen after that? 
And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it just, it's continuing to shake up my mind in a good way. And I'm appreciative of it because it's, the Lord is causing me to think and consider and learn things that in 35 plus years in the church, I never thought about or learned. Um, first of all, you know, God has, we, if, you've, if you've gone through any of, or if you've gone through the first lesson of the Timothy Project, that's what, right away the, the idea of dispensations is discussed. And to me, the basic idea of that is God can have different rules for his people at different times. Depending on which dispensation you live in or which dispensation you are currently living in, if I can put it that way. Because... When we look at Revelation, or when we look at the time after Christ's return, this dispensation that we live in will end. It will end in judgment. That doesn't mean we're just, we no longer exist. No, we know we are eternal souls. Eternal, meaning we are going to keep going after our dis current dispensation ends. All right, don't get don't get so caught up in uh, man's depiction of the end times that it causes us to misconstrue what the Bible says, and know that we will go on after whatever's going to happen happens. We will go on in one of two ways eternal salvation or eternal damnation there's no third option but when the dispensation ends that we're currently in I'm totally fine saying God can have new rules and things that my mind has never thought learned seen discovered can take place will take place revelation is written it's john's revelation of the times that happen in the future i just want to read a little bit revelation 21 verse 1 and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Okay, stop right there. No more seas. That's first major change that I can see right away. Imagine a world where there's no ocean. That changes everything. Because in our confines of humanity and as we live right now in the world you can only walk any direction a certain amount of time certain amount of distance and then before you know it you're gonna get your feet wet and then you're gonna get over your head in water because that's the confines of our time unless you get a boat or a plane or some other thing but he, he's setting the stage here that I see by saying the world that we, we live in now and relate to is going to be completely different. No more sea. Is everybody with me? And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven Coming from where? Out of heaven. Wait a second. I thought we just all went to heaven and stayed there. No. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down from out of there. Uh, 
I heard a great voice out of heaven. Oh, let me finish this. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So he says, the, the way that this new city looks to me, you can equate that to a bride adorned on her wedding day, dressed up to be as pretty as it can be. That's the, that's the similarity that he says. The new city looks fancy. It looks nice. It's adorned well. Verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. We got no seas and we got no death. Two things that we know well in this life are gone away completely. God's going to wipe away all the tears and there's no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. All that was related to death, sorrow, pain, tears, everything that caused all of that is gone, passed away. You don't live according to that anymore. Verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said, verse 6, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It is done. What, is, what are the words? some of the words that Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross? It is finished. I see that and I see very similarities to the end of a dispensation. It's finished. <coughs> the dispensation that, that was previous to us ended when Jesus died on the cross. Amen? And <laughs> that's the beautiful thing is he's in charge of it. It's the exact same thing as when he, Jesus told his disciples, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his power. He can start and stop anything, anytime, whenever he wants to, for his reasons. So he says it's done. I, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Keep reading. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now hang on. He did say that there's no more sea. Right? But there is a lake. It's a lake of fire, not of water. And all these people that we just read about, those that die in that condition, that's, they have their part in that lake. Think of it in these terms for a minute. You can buy lakefront property right now. Pretty much anywhere in, in, in the state and in the country, if you look hard enough and if you've got the resources, you can buy it. And you know what you would say? I've got my part on this lake. That's reserved for me. I own it. Well, it's a very similar concept as to what we're reading here. All of these have their part in that lake. They own that property. 
That's reserved for them. Have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Everybody say the second death. Everybody say the second death. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Then the judgment. So after the judgment, there is the second death for those that are judged accordingly. You meet the second death. That's where you go after the second death. Is everybody still with me? Verse 9. No, yeah, verse 9. There came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, I'm not going to keep reading all the way down, but essentially this angel takes John into the city that we just read about coming down, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and this is where we start to see the descriptions that we know so well of things like gates of pearl, walls of jasper. That's the description that he said. He said, I'm going to take you to see the bride, the lamb's wife. But he takes him through the city. And John's writing about these gates and these posts and these walls because he sees all of that. But the inhabitants... The inhabitants are who he's being taken to see, which is the lamb's wife, the bride. Go down to verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every, sev every several gate was one of pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold and there as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple. I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God... Remember what it said back earlier? The God, God is going to be dwell with them. He will inhabit with them. So, why do we need a temple if God lives in this city? It's all His. I saw no temple, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You get in the presence of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, and you are in the temple. Think, go back to the Old Testament. Rewind some dispensations when there became a such thing as a temple. And the purpose of the temple was to get into the presence of God. Amen? So now the presence of God is in the whole city. So you don't need to bring a lamb and a sacrifice and do all of that. No, you're just there. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. I remember an old song that says, Where the Lamb is the light. We don't need a sun. We don't need a moon. Those were given to us in Genesis at the start of what we see and know now. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. In fact, somewhere in one of these verses, it says there is no night. So we don't need a moon. So we don't need a sun. The lamb is the light thereof. Verse 24, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. That's the bride, the nations that are saved. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. 
the kings of the earth, that would be the rulers. That would be like what we learned about a couple of weeks ago. Those that rule and reign in the earth. So those kings now bring the glory into the city. I'm almost done, I promise. Verse 25, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's how you get in to the city. You are written in the Lamb's book of life. They which are saved. They which are saved. Verse 22, he showed me, chapter 22, he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God. And of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life. The tree of life. We've heard of that before, right? It was in the garden. But now it makes total sense to me that the tree of life be there where everybody that's there lives eternally. <laughs> I like it because it says the tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. Imagine that. A new fruit every month. Why? Because there's no such thing as the four seasons that we know now that are required to produce one crop. Every month. Psh, rotate. What do you want? Oh, you don't apples aren't your favorite, just wait a month. The leaves of the tree were the, for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I'm not going to keep reading, but I think I just wanted you to get the picture a little bit with me of what's in store. What's in store? What's in store? I remember another song that said, I've got to make it to heaven somehow. I'm just, I, I, the Lord has really been changing my understanding. And I'm just so thankful for it. Because even, even if I, if I, but prior to this greater understanding that he's been giving to me, my thought was, if I am in, if I am right and I'm in order and I'm saved, and if I died tonight, well, you'd all be sad, hopefully. <laughs> but I am going to go get my cloud <laughs> and take my place up there somewhere. That's, that was my basic understanding. Nah, it's not what the Bible says. Because the Bible says, at a moment in the twinkling of an eye, he will step out of heavens. We will see him. There will be the trumpet. There will be the shout. And the dead in Christ will rise to meet the Lord in the air. That makes a, that, that's, that's what I was talking about, actually. If I just put it in context... If I'm in Christ and saved right now and I die today or tomorrow 
or in a couple of decades, and I'm saved, then at whatever point, he calls the dead in Christ, the rapture, the catching away, the calling away of the saints, then I'm going up there to meet him in the air. But that's still not the end of it. I, that's just another, whoop, it is done. Okay, now we're going to do this for a while. And then you know what? It is done. And then we're going to do this for a little while. And you know what? It is done. And we go from glory to glory. We go from image to image. We go from dispensation to dispensation with him. Wherever he's going to go, I want to be there. I want to see it. My, our carnal mind starts to ask questions, and that's okay because that's the way God made us. But our carnal mind also starts to think, if I don't know the answer to those questions, it must not be accurate. That's not correct. God didn't make you or me with all the knowledge. I got to be okay with that. If I if I'm not if he did, why would I need faith? If he just gave you all the knowledge, where is your trust? Where is your belief? Where is your faith? It's all it's in all the knowledge. Right, and that's not where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be in Him. Faith in Him. I want to start right now. Faith in Him. I don't want to get so sidetracked with questions or, or wondering or doubt that it becomes a deterrent to me in my walk with Him. This is a beautiful thing. Like Brother Hart was talking about, we can know God. We can know Him more every day. And He will show us more every day. Teach us more every day. Walk with Him. The Bible says, I think it's about Enoch, and it says, He walked with the Lord and he was not, for the Lord translated him. You walked a certain distance, a certain time, and you knew me so well that the only thing I could do to keep you walking with me and knowing me more and more is to translate you from one understanding to the next understanding. And I believe he does that even, even here on the earth with us. He'll take us through a time or a season and we think, man, I know the Lord and he is good and he's done this and he's that. And, and then he's going to say, yeah, but guess what's next? Something's going to happen and you're going to know me even more. You're going to know me in a different way, a better way, a greater way. Amen. Why don't we stand and pray, Lord? I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth of your word. It is your word that I stand on. It is your word that I stand on, that I claim, that I lay hold of, Jesus. It's faith in you. God, it's faith and belief in you and in the truth of your word. Lord, I want to be saved. I want to be sanctified. I want to be ready to meet you, Lord Jesus. I want to be about your work, about your business, Lord. Every day, every moment, God, I want to be living in the light of God. I want to be living in the light of the truth. I know that you have greater things prepared. I know that you have greater things prepared, God, that I could walk with you and know you 
that I could hear your voice at any moment. God, that I could trust and put my hand in yours at any moment, every moment of the day, God, because you are always there. God, even when I don't know the answers, Lord, I'm satisfied in you. I'm satisfied in you, Lord Jesus, to say that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, God. That's who you are. I believe it, Lord Jesus. God, you are my answer. My hope rests in you, Jesus. My trust is in you. You are a firm foundation, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, examine me right now. I don't want there to be any other gods. I don't want there to be any, be any other source of trust, Lord. I don't want there to be any other case, Lord Jesus, that I have that's open, Lord. I want it to be you and you alone. I want it to be the truth of who you are. Let me walk in it, I pray, Lord. Let me walk in it, I pray, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me just remind you, there's no more dying there. There's no more pain and sorrow there. Amen. I remembered it. I, I'm done. I'm just talking now. The song is Peace in the Valley. I don't know who wrote it or where it came from, but that's the one in the verses. There's coming a day and so on and so on where the Lamb is the light. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.